Great. Well, thank you, everybody. We, uh, that was a pretty good day. I get cards. I get my chairs. I mean, <laughs> man. It's, it, it's, I, I, I can say this because Todd and I joke around all the time. It's kind of like, well, my wife always tells me I only work one day a week anyway. Um, but, after, but after 12 and a half years of ministry, I'm glad one thing's changing. I mean, that's, that's you know, if, if nothing else, it's good that that's, that's happening. So, no, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, love, love doing ministry here. Grant and I talk all the time. It's a great privilege to be doing ministry with you folks and as we keep recasting vision and continue to just touch people's lives, I uh, just see nothing but fantastic things in front of us as we move forward. So we greatly appreciate the encouragement, uh, and the, you folks are great at this. Uh, I know I talk to a lot of pastors and leaders, and sometimes even in our own context, it can be a really lonely place. Everybody, you know, they don't always want to hang out with the pastor because they're different than everybody else kind of thing, and... and uh, so it's easy to get isolated, and we've got a great group of people that are committed to encouraging one another, and it's just, it really is a lot of fun to do ministry here. So uh, I think I speak for Grant and myself. It's just a fabulous place, and uh, love being here. So I um, want to, um, lost my train of thought, anyway, that um, I'm going to invite you to bow with me and pray before we step into the scriptures this morning. You know, Father, we stand before your presence in your throne of grace. And I pray that every day, and especially on a day like today where we gather as this body of Christ, uh, your church, that your spirit will infuse with us and in our hearts the, a profound sense of humility, that you'd renew within us the magnitude and, and the depth of the gospel and all that Christ did in leaving paradise with the triune God and taking to himself flesh and blood and dwelling in this sin-infested, evil world to, for the purpose of sacrificing his life so that that would open the door for us to step back into the family of God simply by believing in you and placing faith in your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, we haven't earned it, we don't deserve it, and every day at times we're reminded of how inadequate we are, not only for qualifying to be your children, but for the ministry of the gospel. And yet your spirit that you've made to dwell in all those who've genuinely put faith in Christ makes us adequate for God-sized realities in an upside-down world. And so we pray you continue to help forge within us Christ-likeness at levels that keep changing and transforming our values and our beliefs and our priorities, the way we behave and act, the way we speak. Father, may it reflect your presence and your grace in every aspect of our life and everywhere that we touch people's lives. We continue to bow before you and give you much thanks. And as we continue to step into the fall and continue to explore how you're leading us, we just ask that you would be glorified. That's ultimately our goal, is that your son is be the exalted light of this place. He is the head of his church. He is the one that we point people to. Uh, not to ourselves, not to our programs, not to our performance, but to the Lord Jesus, because he's the only one that satisfies the deepest needs that we have as human beings. Thank you for this time. We entrust ourselves to the teaching of your spirit as we uh, bathe our thoughts and our minds through the pages of your scriptures again and ask that you continue to um, not just teach us information, but transform our hearts. And for this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Last June, my wife and I had the privilege to go to Philadelphia. Um, what I did there is what actually what I'm doing this afternoon. I'm flying to Arizona for a national board meeting with uh, part that's part of our region. But when we were at, flew out in June, we flew to Philadelphia, and uh, we had a chance to hang with some great people, but we took one day at the end of that uh, meetings that I had, and we decided to go to Philadelphia and look around. Neither one of us have ever been to Philadelphia. And like many places out on the East Coast, it's just sort of dripping with history. And so we got to do a lot of different things. My wife, after we got to the Liberty Bell, mentioned afterwards, she went, wow, this was on my bucket list. It's one of, you know, the bucket list is kind of those things that you kind of dream about doing and want to do and have a desire to do, but often there's lots of things that get in the way. And after 61 years, she got to fulfill a bucket list and check it off on her list. I suspect that many of us have those kinds of things, places we'd love to go, people that we'd want to see, experiences that we'd love to have, uh, and, and we dream about it, but life has a lot of clutter in it. It's got a lot of responsibility and obligations, and, and outside of the financial commitments, it's hard. One of the other aspects when we were in, out in Philadelphia is I looked at this uh, graveside of Benjamin Franklin and walked through, they have this big placard on, on one of the walls there uh, explaining all the things that he had done. And you sort of read through this list, and I've kind of isolated a few of them there if you can read them, about all the things that he ended up doing. It's really quite phenomenal. Uh, founded the Philadelphia Library. He was appointed postmaster of Philadelphia at one point. He started the first American magazine. He started the American Philosophy Society. He founded the Pennsylvania Hospital. He uh, was the postmaster general for the colonies at that time. He was the colonel of the provincial militia at, at some point uh, in 1756, delegate to the uh, Continental Congress, and a whole bunch of things. I just listed a few of them. And uh, either he had a really big bucket list or circumstances in life simply put him at the right place at the right time. And, and the reason I mentioned that is that because when the passage we're looking at today, Paul's kind of tones it down a little bit. He, in fact, most of you probably reading through this section of scripture would probably blow through it and go, well, that's nice. He's just talking about coming out to see some people that he hasn't been able to do. You're really gonna preach on this? Yeah, I am, actually. Um, and, and because I think there's some things that Paul experienced that help us identify with him a little better because he's the, the superhero apostle that nobody can identify with. Uh, and yet he had some real life things that he had to deal with and it really came down to the issues of his desires and the distractions of life and ministry. We all have them if you don't, can't admit the fact that life, you have desires and things that you want to do, but there are a ton of distractions in our society right now, whether they're your own or your family's, whether it has to do with the culture or work, there's all kinds of distractions that are throwing us off our game that are really snuffing out a lot of our desires and our hopes of things that we want to do. And it doesn't matter whether it's getting a job or whether it's I can't do the things I normally do or go on vacation, or maybe you're, you know, things are struggling, like I don't know if I can keep my job. We have all kinds of desires and hopes, and, and life has a way of really smashing into those and disrupting them. And sometimes we just take it as a natural part of life. We all know that we're going to have things we'd love to do, I mean, it's kind of like the New Year's thing. Hey, I want to get in shape. Lasts for about three and a half minutes in your mind and one day on the, on the treadmill and then it's gone. 
some of those things are kind of maybe more elementary, but there's other things in life that make it a lot more difficult. We have a culture that the suicides are up because people have lost their sense of hope in the desires and the longings that they had for their life. There's people that are getting divorced in droves because they just can't figure out how to navigate in this particular kind of environment. When, you're, when your desires and longings for what you're hoping for and what you would like to do start getting crushed by people and by other circumstances, that's a whole lot different kind of a story. That's the one that snuffs out our, our sense of will to live and our desire to keep striving and to be significant in life. And so the passage that we're going to deal with is really about this whole idea of, of the desires that Paul had and the distractions, how that interfered at times with the things that he wanted to do. As simple as that may sound, I want to track through it, see if we can resonate anywhere with what his experience is. Romans 15 starts this way at verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I, am no long, I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. Now, a pretty simple pedestrian kind of text, but I want to walk through it this morning just as a sense of trying to help us reconnect with our desires and our longings. And the reason I say that is because I think they're essential in terms of navigating even difficult times. What he begins by doing is that Paul says, right at the beginning, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Paul says it in such a way that he has had it in his mind that he wanted to go see these believers in Rome on a number of occasions. And he may have even tried to take steps to do it, but he got blocked. There was some kind of obstacle, some kind of hindrance, some kind of obligation, something that was keeping him from making that happen. I, don't, I think we can all identify. There's things in life we really have a desire to do, but we can't make it happen. And, and Paul, in some respects, is, says it in such a way that he's not saying, this is my choice. Uh, if I wanted to be technical, I'd say this is an imperfect passive indicative verb. That means nothing to any of you. The key word in there is the word passive. In other words, he is not doing the action. In other words, he isn't doing things himself in his mind that is being the obstacle. We'll talk about this in a few minutes, but it's the idea, is he unable to do this or is he unwilling to do it? See, we'll, we'll talk to people a lot of times who say, well, I have a real desire to do it, but I'm unable to do it. And that may be true, but for many of us, we'll discover that the reason why we're not growing or we're not fulfilling the longings and desires of our heart is often our own fault. Because we're unwilling, it's not that we're really unable, but there are, we're really unwilling to take the, the action that's needed in order to fulfill those longings and desires. And yet at the same time in our culture, we've mastered the ability to blame everyone and everything else because I can't see my dreams fulfilled. And so it becomes a lot more significant issue in terms of how we live this out is, are we really unable or are we unwilling? And we'll talk about that in a minute. But the I here is that Paul is saying, there's been things, circumstances and other things that have just kept me from coming and I'm, I absolutely want to get out there and see you, but it just hasn't been working. But his, the reason for his distraction goes back to the previous verses. 
And this is where it starts getting maybe a little confusing as to whether he's really unable or not. Because if you back it up, it says his ambition, his passion, his desire, the thing that drives him, his longing, is to preach the gospel. Now where Christ has already been preached, lest I build on someone else's foundation. You go just back up a couple of verses. That's his, his language that he's talked about. So all of a sudden he says, well, no, the reason I can't come and see you is because I have a greater ambition to preach the gospel to people who don't know it than I do to come and see you. At least that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? And so it begins to, to, to think about, the word ambition means to earnestly aspire to something, implying this strong sense of emotional commitment to something. As you begin to think about it, this kind of ambition is what Rish is shaping his values, and it's shaping his priorities and the way he behaves. We would talk a little bit about that's the thing that catches his heart. That's what he's really drawn to. That's what he's attracted to. And it would be hard at times for us to figure this out, but probably the way you and I would think about it is think of something you don't have to do that you love doing. Like we all go to work and we have to do that and many of us have the fortunate privilege of doing something we love to do, but it's not always the case. But if you take work out of the equation and you think about your favorite hobby, like I know that if I was going through here, some of you are like day traders and love cryptocurrency and are trying to become a millionaire before you get to, well, not 30 anymore, 40. <laughs> 40 is the new 30 or something like that. And, and that's fine, I'm not trying to be critical of that, but the point is, you don't usually have a lot of problem researching and studying and looking and examining the trends and what they're going, all that, why? Because that's a longing, you have a great desire, you're fascinated by it, you, you wanna figure it out. I, I, some of you may not relate to that, so we'll go from cryptocurrency to quilting. <laughs> right? Now, I'm assuming I'm talking mostly guys over here, mostly gals over here, but don't judge a book by its cover. You know, you could find a mix in here. But if, you're, if you love quilting, I mean, they even have, our camp ministry has days and weekends and weeks where all they do is quilting, and they get hundreds of women that go up there. They bring their own machines, so they, they're highly invested in it. They got enough quilts hanging around their house to basically decorate the White House. I mean, it's, they love doing it, and so that's their ambition. They wanna be master quilters or something, right? I mean, you do it in other areas of life as well. Um, it doesn't have to be that, it can be anything. Literally, it can be sports. A lot of us love playing sports, so we don't have mind paying the registration fee for belonging to a club. We, we do other things, whether it's hunting, or going to the cabin, or boating, or fishing, or whatever it happens to be, or playing golf, I'll throw that in there just so I sort of accuse myself of the same kinds of things. But, but if you want to think of Paul's ambition with the gospel, think of your favorite hobby or the thing that you love to do and sort of say, that's a little bit of a glimpse of what Paul's feeling. That's his ambition, his, ambition, his longing, his desire is the gospel. And he puts the same kind of energy into it that you would put into your favorite pastime. That's what drives him. That's what he thrives on. Now, one of the things that I want to ask you as you think about this whole message and where in the world are you going is this question. Is my life really driven and motivated by godly ambition and desires or cluttered by many of my first world distractions? See, we're living in a culture right now 
that it's so overwhelming to some people that their whole mode of life is to find as many distractions as possible because what's going on in the world is so overwhelming that it's killing them. And so their whole life is about, I've got to find a break. I've got to get relief. I've got to find some respite. I've got to find a Sabbath rest. And their whole life is basically by driven by, how do I escape the stuff in the world? And if that's not part of how, what you're worried about, it is often for many people that we know. And because there's a lot going on. And, and so whatever desires we might have had for a normal life has switched to, wow, I gotta figure out how to just survive. And yet the way it really shapes up in everyday life is I've gotta have destructions, or distractions that may be destructive. But, but that's why we've become masters at watching TV. And masters that, well, as, as one person in my family says, I don't watch TV, I watch Netflix. I'm going, I'm old, I'm not quite sure I understand the difference between that. But anyway, but, but we can fill up our life with a lot of things that tries to ease the pain of the overwhelming pressure of life and all the desires and longings that are getting crushed because I can't do what I want to do. Can't stay at my job because they're forcing us to take vaccines. I can't go on vacation. I can't go visit my family. And so we're, we're dancing around all kinds of things to try to medicate the desires that we can't have and trying to find enough distractions so we're not overwhelmed by what we do have or don't. We can smile at it and joke at it, but that's where a lot of us end up living. Is do I, do I, am I living my life to find distractions so I'm not overwhelmed or can I still have the desires and longings that God's put on my heart? And it makes it difficult. Let me illustrate it from scripture. Galatians 5, 6 and 7 simply says this, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well, who hindered you? Who's been the obstacle that's kept you from walking in love in your relationship with Christ? 1 Timothy 3.7, likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you in the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. You know, when you begin to think of it, what are the things that become, hinder our life and, and are obstacles? Well, Paul seems to think that people can be a hindrance to the desires and longings that I have in life, at least if I have some godly ones that I want to walk with Jesus and I want to grow with him and I want to serve Jesus and glorify him with the way I live, people can be an obstacle or a hindrance. That's the very reason he raises the question, whether it's rhetorical or not. Who, who's keeping you from running well with Jesus? I grew up in a split spiritual home. My mom was a believer, didn't become a Christian until after she got married. My dad didn't become a Christian until five days before he died. There was about a, probably a 45 year gap between the two of those. And my mom was often berated by other ladies about sometimes uh, putting up with an unbeliever in the home. Why would you cater to that? Of course, that was always from people who was married to a Christian, they couldn't understand why she would make adjustments to care and nurture my dad and not just get snitty about it. But then there are some families where the person with the lowest spiritual commitment is the one setting the tone in the home. And they, they, the, whoever it is, 
whether it's the husband or the wife, then everything revolves around that spiritual tone, and so there's no spiritual, so all the hopes and desires and dreams of anyone in the family that's a Christian get smothered by the one individual who forbids anyone to talk about being a Christian. So people can hinder and be a huge obstacle in our walk with Christ, but so can religion. I mean, that's why he's talking about circumcision and uncircumcision is that it's easy for individuals to grow up in a legalistic or a hyper-religious type environment, and those things, as we saw with Jesus and the Pharisees, those things can actually hinder and keep people from the kingdom of God and a relationship with him. And so religion can be just as bad as anything else at times. And then, of course, there's... The individual where Peter says to the husband, listen, if you don't really nurture and cherish and honor your wife and pour into her and help her just know your grace of God and how safe she is with you, he says your prayers might be hindered. Now whether that's referring to their praying together is hindered or their prayer and relationship with God, there's there's a hindrance to that relationship, I'm not sure it matters. And I want to come back to the reality that sometimes the greatest hindrance we have in a lot of the dreams and longings that we have isn't, can be religion, it can be other people, but oftentimes if we're really honest with ourselves, that we often are the greatest hindrance to the, our own dreams and longings. We like to blame circumstances and other people, but oftentimes we can become the greatest hindrance. There's all kinds of things we'd like to do, but much fewer that we can actually do. We can't do everything. We can't be in all places. And and so we may accept this as normal in life. Hey, there's lots of things I'd love to do. I have desires. Some of them are just wishful thinking. If I ever had time, I'd go and do something. But others are much more significant. I'm trying to save for retirement. I'm trying to, to get my kids through college. I'm trying to give them a safe place to live. I'm trying to have a job that's stable and I can keep things. And and all these things are being shattered and so it really puts a lot of stress and anxiety on our hearts because it's like all the things I desire and long to do and being a good citizen and serving Christ, I'm just sort of getting beat to a pulp by people and circumstances. And so the question is, how do we navigate through that? The word hindered means to make progress slow or to be very difficult. There's two things that we all have to deal with. One is time and the other is choices. We all have the same amount of time. That's nothing new. To say that we do not have time for something is more of a statement about what we value than how much time we have. I, uh, I've had people do this. I, as you get older, you feel the weight of like, just getting fat and sloppy. Right? I mean, you may do that when you're younger too. I just feel, feel it more when I'm getting older. So I work out as much as I can, I'll work out three or four times a week or whatever kind of thing. And I had a person, a couple of people through my years going, wow, I wish I had time to do that kind of thing. Kind of like, because that isn't condescending, I don't know what is. I mean, usually what that means is I'm doing really important things. I wish I had time to kind of mess around and do workouts like you do, like, you know. But what it really means is they don't value it. They, they could make the time to do it if they wanted to. They just don't value it, so they do something else that they value. It has nothing to do with what's more important, only in our own minds. And we love to judge other people who use their time differently that we would never use it for because we don't value it. 
But the issue is, is we have time in our choices, we ultimately make time for what we value. I mean, I can say, man, I'd love to be in the scriptures more and pray more, but I just don't have time for that. Why? Well, you might be a single mom who's fighting three kids and that, that's, a, that's a legitimate hindrance, trying to figure out how am I supposed to do all this stuff and make time to spend time with the Lord because one's screaming in this year and the other one's throwing cereal on the table and how do I do that? And so there are things that are legitimate hindrances and obstacles to us connecting even with the Lord. But, but the other side of it is that we do have the freedom to choose. You know, the person who says that I, I want to do this, but I can't do it because, well, I just can't. Why? Well, I don't have time. Well, okay, just block this time off in your, ca- well, I don't think I can do that. Why? You don't know how to block it off? Like, or you, you, but it's usually a time management thing. I, I could do this if I really wanted, if it was really a desire and longing that I felt God was pushing, I could probably do it, but I've got my life so cluttered up with so many other trivial things that I, I can't, I don't know how to get rid of those and put this in place. And so, and so the idea Paul is talking about is his distractions, and when you look at the text, you'll notice that he says, it's clear that he has an, an ambition, an ongoing longing or desire to go see these believers, but he also has this passion and commitment to preach the gospel. And he hasn't been able to put the two together. I can't be out preaching the gospel to unbelievers and, and hanging with these Christians. You ever had that problem? You ever had people talk about that? Paul would have made a lousy pastor and a lousy elder. He would have. I mean, he was running all over the place because he's trying to get beachheads of the gospel into certain cities and places, and then he runs to the next one. He doesn't even stay long enough to make friends. And we have to be careful. If you get people that are evangelists or they have sort of this apostolic ministry where they're trying to reach unreached people groups because that's what he's saying he's trying to do, they may easily bemoan the fact that, well, I have no Christian friends. Like, nobody cares about me. Yeah, well, that's because you don't stick around long enough to have a conversation. And so we deal with this idea of, man, I desire to have Christian friends that speak into my life, but I'm also preaching the gospel. And Paul's going like, I can't get these things connected because I can't do this and that at the same time. Now, if for no other reason, you ought to go, wow, Paul had this problem too? Wow, I feel better. And, and frankly, his problem isn't the sum of the problems we have. He had one godly desire to do a godly thing, and that's preach the gospel to lost people. He also had a godly desire to build into these believers' lives, and that's a pretty good spiritual issue too. But he couldn't get to both. They were not only in different locations, but it's really hard to do both. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. It's like growing up in a small church where I say, you know, the, the mark of spirituality is that I know every single person. Ha! I don't even know half of you sitting here this morning. I, okay, a little more than half. Don't. But that's, but, the, but it's, you know, if knowing everybody is the mark of spirituality, then it's kind of like, uh, okay, well, I'm failing miserably. But sometimes we put a lot more spirit, this sort of pseudo-spiritual responsibilities on our life 
that doesn't have anything to do, and, and people criticize Paul for what he was doing. And I don't care what you do, you can't do everything. You can't be everywhere. It doesn't matter what your desire is or what your longing is. There's always going to be this struggle where there's some things I'm committed to because I value that and I think that's what God's called me to do. That means I can't do other things. And that's why we have the body of Christ is because we can all niche into one another's life in different ways and the sign of of not being everywhere and everything and being everything to everybody is not a sign of spirituality here. And it's not that you have to be involved in every program and every responsibility. I mean, that's kind of what I grew up in the 70s. You know, if you're really spiritual, you went to Sunday morning, you went to Sunday night, you went to Wednesday prayer meeting, you went to the, you know, the whatever meeting on Tuesday. You help the kids out on Wednesday, and then you're also at the men's breakfast thing on Saturday morning every single week, week in and week out. Well, you can hang with all the believers doing that, but you're not going to share the gospel with too many people out there if all of your time is with believers. So Paul has this ongoing desire to be with these believers, but he's also got a commitment to preach the gospel. Now we do need to pause and look at the reality that there's some things going on in Paul's life that he's simply unwilling to do and some things he's unable to do. The way that he phrases the hindrances is that he's had repeated times where circumstances would not allow him. This was not my choice. I was planning on coming, but it didn't work. <laughs> Sounds like running a youth group, doesn't it? You know, I mean, it's hard enough to get people to sign up for anything. Doesn't matter. I mean, it's not you that's anything. You have people sign up, and it's like nobody signs up to the last minute because either they're looking for something, see if something better comes along, or I just forgot and I'll just show up and it should be good. The only problem there sometimes is that like when you don't have, you only have food for five people because those are the only ones that told you and 25 come, then you gotta hopscotch over to the store and get some more food. But the idea here is that Paul was unwilling in one sense to go because he was on a mission to preach the gospel. He made a choice. I value this so much and I haven't fulfilled that that I'm, I just have to keep doing this. You're already believers, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I'm not done doing this task, and this is going to take priority for him. Fortunately, Paul doesn't condemn them for not being like him, because that can easily happen. But Paul was also unable to do certain things because of just circumstances. And in his mind, he believed that he was unable to go because of the circumstances that he faced. He didn't look at it as choices. Now, when we look at hindrances in our life and our desires, whether it's to grow like Jesus or serve or share my life with unbelievers, there's all kinds. Let me just give you a quick list of possible things that hinder us. Ministry hindrances. Is one ministry more important than another? Well, it depends who you talk to. The people who are leading a ministry always think that ministry is more important than everything else, usually. I mean, most Christians are gracious enough to know it's a piece of the bigger picture, but sometimes you get people thinking that their ministry is the most important thing on the planet. The ownership and desire is great. The kind of the condescending attitude towards others isn't. Church hindrances. We've dealt through a whole year and a half of personal convictions, but it can be structures and programs. There might be people saying, wait a minute, if we're actually going to gather together in the word that we're not supposed to say and worship Jesus, it has to be on pews. I've been in churches that would do that. 
is that if we don't have pews, then it's not a church anymore. I've always been a little confused by that, but anyway. Because that's why over the last 12 years, I'm saying that you and I are the church, not the building. And if you don't get that in, then this becomes holier than the way we live our lives. And I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. And so we may have personal desires and preferences even about this. But the question is, do we have anything of the ambition of Paul that there's two things that are critically important. One is the gospel of Jesus Christ and, that's bu- and the other is building into other believers so that we can do the same mission. I don't remember Paul ever saying and complaining about the building or the programs. He seems to have a great desire for two things, preaching the gospel and building into believers' lives. That's his heartbeat. Personal hindrances. You know, I I don't know anyone that doesn't have these. We have a lot of first world either desires or longings or passions, but those can easily become a hindrance to my walk with Jesus. You know, I'd love to read the Bible, but I'm too busy watching four and a half hours of TV every night. That's how absurd it gets sometimes. They just say, I don't have any time. And the issue is saying, you know, I'm I'm just unable to grow. We just have to be honest at times saying, look, the issue is I'm unwilling to do it, not that I'm unable to do it. And I think it's much safer ground for us to take responsibility for our own stuff. And we've got to use the word, I'm unwilling to do things rather than I'm just unable. Now, granted, this is the, the convoluted element of this thing. Am I unable or unwilling? Well, I think most of us need to go, Look at the first issue has to be, am I unwilling to spend time in God's word? Am I really unwilling to spend time praying? Am I really unwilling to build into other believers' lives? Or is it really that I'm unable? Because unable basically takes me off the hook and says, there's things blocking my way, I couldn't push through this and get there if I wanted to. And so Paul's got a little bit of this going on. I'm I'm unable to get there, and there's probably some obstacles, but he's making choices that make him unwilling to go there because he hasn't finished the mission of the gospel there. Now, we can fight over that all day long, but that doesn't matter. Sometimes family is hindrances. You get someone in your family that doesn't believe, doesn't care. You might fare pressure that I shouldn't be at youth group, or I shouldn't come to church, or I shouldn't be involved in a women's or men's group. Because family can be a hindrance. And cultural, (laughs) cultural distractions are mammoth. And there's nothing wrong with being in the culture because I want to represent Jesus and being involved in hobbies and sports and activities if I'm there. But if I'm using those things as a distraction from Jesus, that's not working so well. Now, Let me just make one comment on Paul's desires. There's a couple ways to look at it. We have a heart, we have feelings, and we have flesh. Our desires or longings, we would describe mostly as how we feel about something. What catches my heart? How do I feel about stuff? And as we begin to think through this, I, I could spend a lot of time reminding you that an unregenerated person, Jeremiah tells us, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. I can tell you that God says, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his trust and his confidence. 
Our feelings, we know, are caught in the middle because our unsanctified feelings can convince us to do the stupidest things on the planet. And we can be perfectly convinced this is the right thing to do. And they tend to, if they're driven by the flesh, tend to strong arm God. They tend to push Christ away and it rejects the work of the Spirit inside of us. I had a friend of mine several years ago who sat down and asked a great question. We were having coffee together and he looked at me and he says, I have a question. If I do something that I don't really feel like I should be doing, am I not a hypocrite? And I didn't pre-think this. He didn't tell me what he was doing, so it wasn't my answer. The Lord literally just dropped this thought on my head and I said, well, I guess it depends on who you're being loyal to. He says, what does that mean? I said, well, it, if you can discern whether your feelings are being driven by the flesh, then you can, be, you can do the, what you feel like doing, but then you're just being faithful to the flesh and disloyal to Jesus. But if I have feelings where Jesus tells me I'm supposed to do something and I'm not feeling it, and you do it anyway, then you're being loyal to Jesus, even if you didn't feel like it, you might be a hypocrite to the flesh, but you're being faithful to Jesus. So a lot depends on how you think about it, but in our culture, often our emotions are the new authority. Can't tell you how many times I have discussions with people that want to do something that clearly the Bible says this is a bad thing to do, and they do it anyway because that's, doesn't Jesus want us to be happy? And, and, it's, and it's a struggle to figure out our desires and our longings, not even between two really good spiritual things, but how do I live in this world and not find my life cluttered up with the desires of the flesh? And I end up ignoring Jesus in my walk with Christ because I'm gonna be faithful and not a hypocrite because I'm just gonna do what I really feel like doing. So Paul is making this statement when you get to verse 23, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, because he's already talked about in verse 20 that I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel, which simply means he's created beachheads in a lot of cities. He hasn't got the gospel to every single person. There's no way that could have happened. Even the Christians in Rome that he's speaking to, he probably hasn't met most of them. They were probably at Pentecost or something like that, but in Romans chapter one, you wanna go back there? We can start over. (laughs) If you read, I won't take the time to do it this morning. If you read 9 through 18, you'll see that Paul's passion for these people, even if he hasn't met something, is unbelievable. He says, I want to come, and literally the statement that he's going to make here is that I want to be filled up with your presence. But Paul's desire is, is, they're all over the place. He He wants to fulfill the ministry of the gospel, He longs to go to Spain to preach the gospel. He desires for these believers to help him with the mission, and he has no reservations about asking for money. Now, in our American mindset, you know what we do? Oh, I get it. Yeah, Paul wants to see him, but the only reason he wants to see him is because he wants something from them. He he just wants to go and visit them so they can give him more money and help and passage and directions to get to to Spain. He doesn't really want to see them. Well, read Romans 1, 8 through 18. You'll see that he wants his life to be filled up with their presence. He wants to go there and he wants to bathe in their presence and he wants to be saturated by their encouragement because he needs that encouragement too. You know, we look at Paul as the guy who goes around and helps everybody. But I tell you, 
He speaks a lot of people who have spoken into his life and given him encouragement, just like you guys did this morning. Because I tell you, being on the front lines of anything, whether it's pastor or elder or leaders or leading a ministry, sometimes can be a really tedious spot to be in. You get kicked in the teeth by sometimes by people that you thought loved you, get criticized for not doing it a particular way. You get people that don't show up when they say they're going to. You don't always get the help that you need when you think it's there. Nobody calls you at home and says, how you doing? No, that's your job. You're, you're supposed to do that for everyone else. Now, I say that not to criticize anyone. This church does a marvelous job of encouraging us. But it happens. And Paul talks to them like, I need you as much I, there's no way I want to, look at it this way, I don't want to go to Spain unless I get recharged in your presence because I desperately need that. Because everybody needs that connectedness. And that's why he says, I'm only going to go to Spain once I've fully enjoyed your presence. And you can speak into my life and encourage me and I can impart a spiritual blessing to you I'm not going there without stopping and seeing you, is what he's saying. I can hardly wait to be in your presence. And somehow he knows that even though there's this tension about his desires and longing and the distractions that make it happen, somewhere, not at the same time, he's going to make it happen. He's going to keep preaching the gospel, but he knows how vital and important it is for him to be in the presence of other believers, not just so he's giving, but so that they can build into his life. So this is no just passing through. In American Christianity, that's the way we think about it. But you have to remember, they didn't have an Airbnb on every corner and a Hotel 6 on every other one. Paul walks into a city, and you probably need to think of it this way, even though this is probably technically not true, but he's walking into a city, and he's got to go, okay, now I've got to find somebody who will like me enough to put me up for the night. That's why hospitality was so critical in, in that kind of culture. You just can't wing it on your own. There's a super interdependence on it. So I want to finish by asking you this question. Is your life motivated and driven by godly desires or longings or is it just cluttered up with first world hindrances? We live in a pretty frenetic world. We live in a world where, hey, we want to experience everything. I'm just telling you, you can't do it. You may want to experience everything in the planet, have desires to check off your bucket list in this world, but you better be careful that that bucket list doesn't strong arm Jesus and say, look, I, I'm, I'm enjoying the fun things of life without you. I don't want to go through the discipline of actually being on my knees in your presence at the throne of grace and saying, God, I need you to forgive me because I keep making choices based on the flesh and I'm chasing desires that are not honoring you. And it's got its arms wrapped around me so much that uh, now I'm kind of stuck because I don't know how to make another choice because now I'm unable to make choices to get to me where I need to go because I've kind of trapped myself in this little cycle over here. And I'm living by my feelings, but I'm not sure I want you to sit down and talk with me about my feelings because they're kind of a train wreck. And they're not godly. 
and they're not building up other believers, they're tearing them apart, and they're criticizing. And by the way, I'm not even sure I like myself, because this is a bit of a nightmare. And maybe today is a day to just sit down and say, what's really driving my life? What are the motivations? Are they really godly, or am I just making that up to make myself feel good? Is my life, because even torn between really two good spiritual things is way better than not having godly desires and having my life cluttered by the desires of the flesh. Because the weight of that gets very depressing and extremely discouraging. It actually sucks away our godly hope to honor and live for Jesus and to serve other believers and build into their life where even coming and gathering on Sunday morning disappears because it's like, what's, what's the point? There's a, tomorrow morning I may actually go play golf because as soon as I'm done here, I'm flying to Phoenix for these board meetings. So we, I talked him into going, a, getting there a day early so we can play golf. So if that's one of those desires that I shouldn't have, we'll pray that God stops me or something, but anyway. But there's, there's a picture on my wall that doesn't have this particular picture on it, but it's, it's an island green. This one is in Coeur d'Alene. You tee up way over there on the right, on that little pedestal green on the right side, and you hit over to the green, and then they actually put you in a boat and ferry you out there to the green. Most people who are amateur golfers and don't play much usually swallow the club by the time they get off the tee on this one because they they're just panicked. All they see is all the distractions. But you get good amateurs and obviously professionals who I've seen them choke on these holes too. What you have to do is basically forget about the water and you have to get zeroed in on what the target is and you've got to trust the skills and the training that you've had and if you do that, you blot everything out and you zero in on what the target is and you dump it right on the green. And what happens in a lot of our life is that we start staring around at all the storms and the clutter in our culture and we start to panic and we get anxious about it. And then we start doing things that is a desire, but it's one for survival. Rather than trusting the security of being in Christ and the training that I've received as other believers have spoken in my life, so I keep my focus on the target of Jesus and the gospel of Christ and building into other believers. We don't want to choke and dump our life into the waters of a culture if our life isn't focused on the godly desires that'll keep us navigating with godly longings and godly desires. But you can't fill it up with both. Do you have some desires and longings in your life or they're just cluttering it up with first world stuff to the point that that's become a hindrance to your walk with Jesus? I mean, there really is no better time than the moment to get before his throne of grace and say, God, here's where I'm at, but I need some help. If you've been part of our body at all for any length of time, you'll know that there's people all over this place that would love to move shoulder to shoulder with you in your journey and just encourage you. It can be done. But sometimes we gotta get focused in. Focused in 
on the kind of desires that Paul had. That God has given us his spirit to realize that there's a lot of people out there whose desires and longings have been crushed, that it's toxic and it's killing them. And God has given us the hope of the life-giving reality of the gospel. That's what he's called us to do. But if I'm cluttered up with my own stuff, we'll lose interest. My life will be too overwhelmed to even care. Let's pray together. Father, we, just like Paul, we struggle with the desires and the distractions of life and ministry. You know, we know they're going to be there. We shouldn't feel guilty, but sometimes we can feel really discouraged and overwhelmed because we either have so many things going on, we have no idea how to make it all happen. Sometimes we just know some of the things that we desire and long for just simply isn't your will, and yet we just seem bent on doing it anyway. So Father, this morning, if nothing else, help us to know the healing presence of your grace. That we're never going to perform and do enough things to impress you because the only thing that matters is when we abide in Christ and walk hand in hand with you and do simply the things that you've asked us to do. You don't ask us to do everything, even though we may have good intentions and desires to want to do lots of things. Help us to learn one day at a time to keep in step with your spirit and to simply do the things that he puts on our heart that he desires for us to do. That we might glorify you one day at a time through simple obedience to your word and your spirit to keep the gospel as the center point of what motivates our life in this community of faith called the church where we build one another up so that we might thrive even in a toxic world. And for this, we are extremely grateful that you are indeed sufficient. You can heal our heart. You can give us hope. You can give us the kind of desires that will glorify you for all of eternity. And for this we pray in Christ's name, amen.